Well, good morning. If you are like me, the change in the seasons tends to bring back memories, especially related to the holidays. This past week, I was just uh, thinking about some of these memories. I was reminded of the time when I was in middle school, and, and one morning I took off my pajama top and was going to put on my shirt, but I was so cold that I reached instead for my winter coat, and I zipped it up, and I sat on one of the heaters and just let the, the, the warm heat warm me up. Uh, the problem was I went to school that day and didn't have a shirt on underneath. Thankfully, I discovered the problem before I got there, and, and I ran back home to put on a shirt. But how embarrassing that would have been if I had arrived and taken off my shirt and realized, oh, oops, I've got a little bit of a problem here. I'm reminded of the time that I helped a neighbor across the street when it was getting cold, and she wanted a fire in her fireplace. And so I went over there and started the fire, and I put the grate back, but accidentally slipped my wrist on the edge of it. It was very sharp. I didn't feel it at all, but blood was pouring from my wrist. Ended up getting stitches, several stitches. I still have the scar to this day. I was reminded of the time that my three brothers and I all missed our lines in the Christmas program. I've talked about that before. It was so embarrassing because it was the first year that my dad was the pastor of this new church and all four of us messed up our lines one after another. And it wasn't like there were a lot of lines. So it was like two sentences and not one of us got it right. And it was just so embarrassing. Or I think of the time that my my dog got away during the Christmas season and it had been snowing out and got hit by a car. Fortunately, only the leg was broken. It could have been certainly a lot worse, but this time of year, I just get a little bit nostalgic. But as I was thinking about this this past week, it occurred to me that so many of the memories that I have related to the holidays have to do with other people that really most of the memories, both the good memories and maybe the bad memories, have to do with being with other people or doing things with other people. And I realize that the holiday season is a time in which we're gonna find ourselves in a lot of situations involving other people. And this can cause some problems. For example, there are some of you here today that are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving or Christmas for the first time without a loved one. That there's an empty chair at the table, and, and you'll be mindful of that. I even think of my, my dog in this regard. My dog died this year, and, and my dog would sit at my feet during the Thanksgiving meal very patiently, not clawing at me at the whole time, and food would just magically end up on the floor. I don't know how that part happened. But there's no doubt as I'm eating the meal, I'll be thinking of the fact I can't I can't let anything slip off my plate on the floor this year. It's the second year that I'll be celebrating the holidays without either of my parents being alive. I usually think on Thanksgiving, I better call dad, but he's not there. And during this time of year, some of you are gonna be in situations where it's, a, <clears throat> it's supposed to be a happy time of year, but you're gonna find yourself sad about things, or others of you may be just lonely. You look around and you see everybody's got their things with all their family members, but, but you really are alone, and, and you'll feel the weight of that. For others of us, when it comes to other people in the holidays, there's a different dynamic, and, and it's also hard. For some of you, 
you're gonna find that these gatherings with family members are, are just times filled with arguing and fighting and you dread the fact that you're gonna have to spend time with your brother or your sister. Uh, something happens sometimes when we get back in those environments with family members. You may have grown quite a bit spiritually over the past year and you think, I'm really doing quite well and then you get back in that environment and you become a 14-year-old yelling at your sister or your parents and something happens. Or you find yourself thrust into a situation where you're with fellow employees in these, some of these holiday celebrations and you just dread it. Because sometimes during this time of year, being with other people is kind of a difficult thing. Now, last week, Josh began talking about um, how we should approach the holidays from the perspective of maybe saying no, you know, keep calm and say no to some things so that you might be able to sit at the feet of Jesus during this holiday season. But today I wanna to talk about this idea of having a, a little bit different mindset toward the holidays, that we should keep calm and serve, have a mindset of serving other people, whether it's the person who's gonna be lonely and that you could reach out to or to someone who's lost a loved one that maybe you could think about that person and reach out to that person or whether you are in an environment with your family and you begin to think in terms of serving the family members instead of it being a time of competition. Now, today I wanna look at a story that I know most of you are familiar with it's the story where Jesus was with his close friends, his disciples, on the night in which he was betrayed. It would have been a good, good message to do communion with, where Jesus was with his, his close friends, and he knew what was about to come. And the reason I want to talk about this story is that Jesus was never selfish, ever. I don't believe Jesus was ever selfish, but... If I were to pick one occasion in which Jesus would have had a right to be selfish, one occasion in which I would have thought, you know, Jesus, today, let other people serve you. Today, you are the one in the seat of honor. Today, others should be caring about your needs. Don't you worry about others. It would have been that day. And yet we find that Jesus on that day took on the role of a, of a servant and served other people. Something happens when we have this mindset though of serving other people. I think it brings joy into our own hearts. Scottish novelist J.M. Barry put it this way, those who bring sunshine into the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. And Jesus, I think, from the beginning to the end had an others mindset and I, I find it remarkable. In Mark 10, 45, we read, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the reason I think that Jesus deserved to be maybe served on that day or that, that maybe he should have been the beneficiary of the kindness of his disciples and not the one who did the serving was because he knew what was about to happen that day. He knew that before that day was out, Judas was gonna betray him. He knew that before that day was out, all of these guys with whom he had walked for three years, all of them were gonna abandon him. He knew that was gonna happen. He knew the pain and suffering that was gonna take place, that he was, he was gonna be beaten and he knew he was gonna be nailed to a cross. He knew all of this and the only, 
place where you get some glimpse on that day that he was carrying the weight of that is in the Garden of Gethsemane because at a certain point after he had this last supper with his disciples, he went to the garden and he just let loose. And the weight of it all was on him and he, it says he sweat drops like blood as he was praying, Lord, just take this cup from me. It was so difficult, but I want us to understand he was carrying that same weight earlier in the day when it was supper time. And yet he wasn't thinking of himself. Somehow in the midst of that, he was still able to think of other people. And I find that, that truly remarkable. How was he able to do it? And what's interesting to me about this story is that the disciples, while he was thinking of them, the disciples were only thinking about themselves. Because I think it was that very day that the disciples had a disagreement among themselves. They were debating who is the greatest. It's like there was an occasion where the disciples were walking and they were all together and apparently Jesus was further ahead or whatever and they were just discussing among themselves, maybe so Jesus wouldn't hear, who do you think is the greatest among us? I would have loved to have listened into that conversation about the reason why you should be greater or you should be greater. That's what their debate was about and then Jesus confronted them about it. What are you talking about? Jesus responded to them, to them in Luke 22, 25, and 26. It says, but he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them or other people. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. You look up to this person to provide a benefit for you, but it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving you want to know what greatness looks like in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God? It's flipped completely upside down. It's, it's not the person who's dominantly leading. It's the person who has the heart to serve, which is what Jesus was doing. Now, if I had heard this discussion taking place among the disciples on the very day that I was going to be facing my arrest, I might have said to them, you guys are pathetic. How long did I put up with you guys? I'm about to die, I'm about to suffer, and you guys, all you can do is debate about who's the greatest, who's the most wonderful. They didn't get it at all. But Jesus didn't approach it that way. He clothed himself with this mindset that had been true of his, his whole life on this earth of a servant. We pick up the story in John 13, I wanna begin reading in verse one. We read, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. He knew it. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God so... He got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. You'll never wash my feet ever, Peter said. 
Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. The one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. I find it humorous, of course, Peter was always out there at the front you'll never wash my feet, you know, and then Jesus says, well, then you'll have no part of me, and then he changes it to, and then wash everything, and Jesus jumps in, no, just your feet. That's just the way Peter was. I, I kind of love that about him, and I love the fact also that, that you know, he was kind of like a chief among those apostles, and, and Jesus looked over this annoying uh, characteristic of him to always spout something out. But it's a wonderful picture. Let's describe the scene just a little bit. A scholar by the name of D.A. Carson says, we must picture the disciples reclining on thin mats around a low table. Each is leaning on his arm, usually the left. The feet radiate outward from the table. Jesus pushes himself up from his own mat. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel that was looked down upon in both Jewish and Gentile circles. Thus, he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, the chapter begins in this way. Jesus knew that it was at, the time was at hand. He knew that this was going to be the night in which all this was going to happen. And so he began to show them, one version says, the full extent of his love. Of course, Jesus always loved them, but this evening, this act of love, of washing their feet, was going to be the start of a series of things he was doing for his disciples that would, of course, end with the cross. And he loved them, and he had demonstrated love all along toward them, but now he was going to show them the full extent. They were going to get an idea just how amazingly much Jesus loved them. But verses 3 and 4 provide an interesting context for the story and a contrast. I find it kind of fascinating what it says in the next two verses. Let's read them again in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. This is an interesting way to start what was about to happen. He knew who he was. He knew the full authority that he had. I mean, after the resurrection, of course, he would tell his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me all authority. He knew he was returning to his father. He was just fully in command of who he was. And then it says, so he grabbed a towel, wrapped it around himself, took off his outer garment. So what's interesting to me about that is that that's not what I would expect if I were just reading the story. I would expect the story to go something like this. Jesus knew who he was and he knew that all authority was in his hand, and he knew he's going back to his Father in heaven, so he demanded that the disciples worship him. He demanded that the disciples serve him. You know, that's more what I would expect based on this, but instead it says so. In light of this full recognition of who he was, so he took up the towel. What's the significance of that? Well, he's serving from the position of strength, not weakness. 
He's serving from this position of security in terms of who he was. This is what allows us to serve other people, especially people with whom we don't get along if we're secure in, in who we are, to be able to serve them. Jesus knew who he was. Dr. E.A. Blum put it this way, Jesus knew his sovereign authority, his origin, and coming destiny, yet he voluntarily took the place of a slave washing the feet of his disciples. And again, this action was very consistent with everything Jesus did. It started, of course, long before. In some ways, the washing of the feet of the disciples was just a little deal compared to the, what he'd already done. What had he done? Well, he had entered the world as a baby in the first place. I mean, you think about that for all eternity. Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son, experiencing the glory of heaven, never experiencing ever any physical pain or anything like that. He was used to being worshipped by the angels. He chose to enter the world as a baby and take on flesh and blood and suffer sickness and, and sorrow and pain and sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, all the things that we all experience. Jesus was tested in every way just like you and I are. He, he went through all this. This was an amazing level of service. The Apostle Paul talks about that in the book of Philippians. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, in essence, he was God. He did not regard as equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of a man. And then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the very point of death, death on a cross. But this love he had for them and for you and for me and for this world was really started long before when he was willing to set aside his divine prerogative and enter this world as a man and go the distance for 33 years, live in this place, and then, of course, die. Jesus was willing to do that for us. Of course, Paul goes on to say in Philippians 2 there where he describes this, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That was the outcome, and that's the outcome for us. The greatest is the servant of all. The one who's the least is the one that's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus was exalted to the highest place. By the way, this description that Paul has here in the book of Philippians where it says, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him this name that's above every name, I wanna talk a little bit about that tonight for those of you that are coming to the Revelation study because we're gonna look at chapters four and five and I'm gonna go back and tag it to Daniel and you realize that this picture of, of this one coming into this world and being ushered in the presence of the Almighty God, this Jesus is so amazing and Daniel talked about it in the Old Testament, John talks about it in the book of Revelation and in between you've got Paul talking about it in the book of Philippians. But going back to the story, Peter argued with Jesus, of course. He said, you know, um, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, yes, I am. And we'll wash everything. Uh, Dr. Wearsby, Warren Wearsby, some of you are familiar with him. He says, in eastern lands, people used public baths as they walked in the dusty streets. Of course, they didn't have a bath in their home. People used public baths as they walked in the dusty streets. Their feet became dirty. On arriving home, they did not need another bath. They only needed to wash their feet. 
And so this is what, what Jesus was getting at here. You know, Peter, you're already clean. Um, if you've had a bath already, you don't need another one, only your, your feet. But there's another dimension of this story that I think is important to realize, and that is the, the spiritual dimension. Because the washing of the disciples' feet was more than just a, uh, an act of physical service. There was a spiritual point he was trying to make as well. You see, Jesus had made a couple statements that are kind of remarkable here. One is he said to Peter, if, I, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me. And then a little bit later, a sentence or two later, he said, all of you are clean except one of you. He's not talking about physically. He wasn't saying, all of you have had a bath except one of you. Judas, go take a bath. He's talking spiritually. This whole act was about what he was going to do for us. And the bottom line, what he said to Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me. This is, this is true of us as well. If we do not allow Jesus to wash us, we have no part of Christ. We are not Christians, Christians. Our identification with Christ is letting him wash us, letting him cleanse us from our sin. And Peter later would understand this. Judas, of course, was the one who wasn't clean. Jesus looked around and said, all of you have been clean. All of them had put their trust in Jesus already. And, and Jesus knew that, but he said, one of you is like a devil. One of you, I don't know one of you. You don't know me. And Judas, but this is for some of us the, the starting point, to put your trust in Christ who died in our place and for our sins so that we could experience spiritual cleansing, which is what Jesus provides for us. This action, though, of what Jesus did, I think, is much more um, embarrassing than we understand. Uh, what Jesus did on this occasion was shameful. It would have been, it was offensive. I'm just telling you that they sat there and they said, stop at Jesus. That's what all of them were thinking. You should not be doing this. It was, it was embarrassing for them. D.A. Carson writes, this was a task normally reserved for the lowliest of menial servants. Some Jews insisted that Jewish slaves should not be required to wash the feet of others. This job should be reserved for Gentile slaves. Sometimes people found themselves in slavery in biblical times because of debts or whatever, whatever else. It was a little bit different than in our history. And if someone was a Jewish slave, some felt like even if they're a Jewish slave and they're to do everything you say, don't make them wash someone's feet. That is beneath them. Make sure it's a non-Jew or a Gentile. That's how some people thought it was so, such a, an embarrassing, low thing to do. And then Jesus begins to do it. And I can understand why Peter was bothered by this. I don't know if any of you have ever been, by the way, to a foot washing. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but... I think it's an, kind of an embarrassing thing. Even to have someone wash your feet or to wash someone else's feet. Of course, my understanding is that most people that go to foot washings wash their feet first. So that when they go, they won't smell so bad when someone else is washing their feet, you know. But it, it was, it, this was a very embarrassing thing that Jesus was doing. And it was such a, it was, it was humbling himself. Humbling himself in a position to serve. And again, it's from a position of great security. 
But as we continue reading here and we get to the application here, it says in verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do as I have done for you. The word example here means a pattern. I've shown you a pattern. You call me rabbi, and you're right. You call me teacher and Lord, you're right. You've seen what I've done for you. Now you go and do it for other people. They, this would have resonated with them more than it does in our culture. When you realize that in biblical times, a rabbi would select which pupils he wanted to work with. And the goal was that those pupils were to become like the rabbi. They were not supposed to become like the rabbi's teaching. It wasn't about just conveying knowledge. Like learn from the rabbi so that you know your Bible. It wasn't that at all. It was you become like your rabbi. You do the things. And that's why Jesus said when a student is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. We'll be like the teacher, not like the teacher's teaching. We'll become like the teacher. That's why it matters who we associate with. We become like that person. But this is uh, something that the disciples would have understood. I've mentioned before that, that Peter would have had this mindset when he saw Jesus walking on the water one evening as they were struggling in the boat and, and they were rowing along and there were big waves and Jesus starts to walk by them, you know. At first they thought it was a ghost and then Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, call me to come out there because that's, see, that's what you're supposed to do if you're following a rabbi. If the rabbi does it, you do it. The rabbi's doing it, you do it. You follow the example. All of those guys should have gotten out of the boat. And Jesus was calling upon these followers to say, now you do it, you've seen what I've done. Because the kingdom of heaven is different. It's, it's measured by serving. It's not measured by lording it over other people. The leaders that, that God is looking for are servant leaders. They're not ones who are about control or something like that. So what should we do with this? Well, I just want to encourage you to take the opportunity during this holiday season to take advantage of opportunities, to help people, to look for needs around you, to, to realize, like I said earlier, that there are some people that are, you know, have a hard time this, this holiday time, both around Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and maybe even New Year's as well. I mean, this is like the holiday season. It's an opportunity for you to care about someone else, begin thinking about someone else. And when you find yourself in, in an environment, maybe with your family, and everyone else is arguing in this or that, maybe you just take the high road in that occasion. You say, I'm gonna serve by just not getting in there or not insisting on my way, which is what we tend to do. Or maybe just get up and start serving. This is kind of a hard thing to do. Um, earlier on in my marriage, uh, my in-laws, I'd usually go to my in-laws for a meal and my mother-in-law was just a tremendous cook and made pies and everything else. And when I went uh, to their house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, if I happened to go to their house for Christmas, I really had the mindset, this is my time to just relax and enjoy and serve me. But at a certain point, it hit me, this is not what I should be doing. I should get up and I should help over here. 
I can do some dishes. I can serve in this way. I can serve in that way. I just think that there are going to be opportunities, even in conversation, to put the other person first. My wife noticed several years ago that when I got with my three brothers, when the four of us got together, we tended to be a little competitive in, in terms of our conversation putting out there all the areas in which we were succeeding so that our brother would think well of us, like, like I think better of you because you're, you're succeeding in this or that. And my wife brought that to my attention. At first, I said, I don't think that's right, but then I observed it and I said, yeah, that's right. What if instead of tooting my own horn, I think in terms of how are you doing, what's happening in your life, there are all kinds of ways in which we can serve other people, take on the role of a servant to say, hey, this might be humbling for me, but I'm gonna do it. I just challenge you to take this opportunity to be like Christ, who is willing to do this for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of your son Jesus. It is so remarkable how on that night in which he was betrayed, he was so selfless to the very end he just resigned himself to this idea that he was a servant and, and it was fine. And he didn't care even that his disciples looked down on him when he began to serve them, which is what they did. Because he loved people. And Lord, we do want to recognize what you value. The greatest is the servant of all. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.